hosts, Patrick Harrion, Michael Imami, and Logan Franz. One hour of nonstop sports starts right now. And good morning, Columbia! Welcome to another edition of the Hot Corner. I'm your host, Patrick Harrion. Alongside me is Michael Imami and Logan Franz. It is the greatest time of the year if you're a sports fan. You got hockey starting, the MLB playoffs, football's in full swing, both college and professional, basketball starting up very shortly here. But the thing to talk about the most is postseason baseball. In my opinion, the most important stuff going on right now in the sports world. As you know, both divisional series and National League started off last night. Two good games here. Cardinals and Braves, that was a a whole train of emotions if you're a Cardinals fan and a Braves fan. If you're a Braves fan, you know what disappointment is, even though we have been feeling that for the last couple of years. Cardinals fan, well, there's some optimism for you. And, of course, Dodgers really showed the Nationals who's boss, showing that the Dodgers are definitely the team to beat in the National League. Right, Logan? I don't think that was really a question even before the playoffs. I think the Dodgers have taken the... They took the lead and never gave it back, and I think they're going to continue their dominance throughout the next couple of weeks. And you saw it pitching-wise, Walker Walker Bueller. Whew, that's a name I couldn't say for some reason. He pitched great last night. Six innings pitched, one hit, three walks, eight strikeouts. Definitely helped the Dodgers take that game. I think, really, the Dodgers have a very good chance to at least maybe win in three games. They can possibly do the sweep over to Nationals. I think that's just something they'll take a look at. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold your horses here, young man. Um, I just want to say the Nationals, they looked bad last night, but I just want to make a point here. I don't think that we should write them off just yet. I don't think it's fair to just necessarily say we could talk about a sweep. But remember, I did pick the Nationals to win five. I get it. But the thing is, is I'm not ruling out any possibility until I see Scherzer again take the mound. It's, it's, I'm more, confident. it's more of taking a look at Pitch, starting wise, the Nationals are fine. It's right. that bullpen. Yeah, that the bullpen's bullpen been a concern runs. for me since May. I mean, I don't think that's there's any problem with that. I think the thing is, is they got to limit the damage that they have in that bullpen. And I think right now, what matters for the Nationals is, is how far those starters can go. And I was concerned with Scherzer because he didn't go all that long, and he had kind of a rough game in that wild card. And that was one that you and I thought, and Logan as well, thought would be you know easy, easy and a breeze for the Nationals, but it wasn't. They had to kick up that offense late. But the thing that I think the Nationals have going for them, they got a lot of good young hitters. I think that if they out-hit the Dodgers in this series, there's a serious chance that the Nationals can win it. And yeah, I'm not writing them off just yet. That great young hitting core only combined for two hits. Last night. Last night, yes. Now, However, one, now one game is a very it's a very bad prediction to just right. say, oh, the series is over after one game. But right. If I'm a Nationals fan, I know what choking is. I'm concerned. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. definitely concerned, I'm concerned for them. And I also think that we've seen Corbin this year have these starts where it's like he's been he's been really erratic. He's been on and off. And I think there are some starts where he looks like an all-star, and there are some starts where he looks like, oh, maybe this guy should be in the bullpen instead of starting. I think last night was kind of a weird game for him. And I think he, 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 pitched, his, he pitched fine last night. He was a little bit weird. I, I thought I was I had some problems with the locations and I also had some problems with, you know, as you said, he allowed a lot of walks early on. And I understand he only had like one or two runs, but he allowed a lot of walks early on and I had a problem with his location. He looked okay when he was coming out. But the issue that I have with Corbin is, is it's always his location. I think sometimes his mechanics can get kind of messed up in some starts, and I get concerned with him because he has an inability to really go very far in a game like that. And I think Martinez is also a problem for that team because I think he pulls starters too early sometimes. 
being a Cubs fan, I'm sure you would know all about that because Madden has done it before too. Madden has, yes. I, I know a whole history of players right. taking, being taken out early. And that's happened right. in basically almost every game right. so far in the divisional series. Yeah. Right. And the Cardinals and Bru- and uh, excuse me, Braves game happened in this one as well, right. especially with the Nationals. But it wasn't really Corbin that was the problem. It's No, it's, yeah, it's the I, bullpen. Of course... The bullpen, the bullpen. Of course, you can you can go along the lines of saying the bullpen should hold them to as little few, few runs as possible. But if you're not hitting, it's right. on the hitters. Right, and I, that's why I said I think last night could be a fluke game. I mean, maybe it's it's the Dodgers pitching staff that's excellent. I don't know. They they have a pretty darn good rotation. But I'm just saying that you know this is a Nationals team that was able to essentially hit their way to victory in a wild card game. So. I'm not ruling out any possibility that they could do that again. And they've beaten the Dodgers before with a guy named Gerardo Parra, um, who had a grand slam down by one uh, in the eighth inning. They they are in for some late devil magic. Um, and don't, I don't will, even throw that term. Uh, devil I will magic throw that term in there. I will because the Nationals man. things are strange, just like with St. Louis did. I, there are some parallels. I'm telling you. Here's the thing though. This isn't the Milwaukee Brewers anymore. This is the best team in the National League in the Dodgers. They there's not a lot of margin for error when you're playing this team. I understand, and I think that with the Dodgers, they have you know so many good hitters. They have so many; they have a great rotation staff. But with all that, we can't turn a blind eye to Washington here either, because if you look what they have, they have a very very strong pitching staff. And a friend of ours who shall not be named got in an argument with me. Um, I said, you know, the Nationals have arguably the strongest pitching staff if they can prove that their their pitchers can really be lights out. Strasburg, Corbin. Scherzer, that's a good staff. I mean, that is a strong staff. You have essentially a couple of good Cy Young candidates on there, a, a decorated Cy Young uh, or former Cy Young uh, pitcher in Scherzer. So you have a very, very talented staff in Washington, too. You do. And I've mentioned before, they have a, that three-man rotation for a divisional series is one of the best. Right. Now, it's probably third behind the Astros and the Dodgers. Well, no one's beaten the Astros. In but that. still, that's a very good rotation. They match up with L.A. very well, I thought. The very Astros, well. Yes, they do. That's why I'm seeing it go in five games. I, still, I don't like how the hitting went with both with the Nationals. I watched a good portion of that game. Right. And the at-bats that were going on, I was not a fan of. Certain, some players were not really doing much with the pitches they were given. Now, maybe that's just great pitching by the Dodgers, but if you're missing balls right down the plate, that's not good. I mean, I think we really need a second game to see, you know, what's indicative of, of how the Nationals team fits because, again, you know, and and I get it. I mean, the, the wild card game was one that set precedent for me too, but the thing that came up well in that wild card game was, A, the patience at the plate, and I think that was huge, and also it was the clutch performance of Soto. I that think and that almost I, I you might have to throw in getting lucky with a weird bounce in right field. I th- I still think three runs would have scored there if he actually no I think no. two they were down one. How much, what were they down by? They they had I think they were down by two. I think two runs still would have scored. Three runs scored off of the bounce, and I think when you tie the game and you go into late innings with that kind of momentum, I think they would have won because Josh Hader they were down two by the way. They were down two, so two runs would have scored off of that single because I think they had they had Robles on base correct, and I think they had they had somebody else on base. They had two speedy guys, and I knew they were going to score two right at the second that um, Soto hit that. So the issues were with me was is a they're able to capitalize off a of Hader, which 
I think Hader is a very good bullpen guy for the Brewers. I think the Brewers have a strong bullpen. And I think that what's going to be key for the Nationals is is to do similar stuff than what they did with Milwaukee, get the starters out of there, force them to throw a lot, and get into the bullpen. I think they faced a very good bullpen in the Brewers. I think they can beat up on the Dodgers if possible, and they can let their starters go further if they're able to get beyond with their location and not allow as many walks. Because walks will kill you. Really. I mean, they'll kill you more than hits do because they creep up on you. Two walks per an inning, and they got Dodger hitters. They run up the pitch counts. Things get wild. So limit the walks. I think the Nationals have a chance. All right. Very quickly, around the table, how many games do you guys see going and the winners? I'm picking Dodgers, Dodgers in four. At most, four games. I'm going to say Nationals in five. I haven't lost hope, but I think there's a chance still. I was actually going to go with the same thing. I was going to say Dodgers in four. I think Nationals are able to pull off one win, and that's going to be about it. Now it's time for me to get a little disappointed in my uh, bandwagon as to the Braves. I'll admit I have hopped the more of Atlanta bandwagon, partially because of my hatred for the Cardinals. But I, I'm going to let all that stand aside. That was a great win for the Cardinals. It was. Coming back in the sixth inning and really just taking taking ahead, taking the really taking the lead far with six runs combined between the eighth and ninth inning. But right. if I'm going to be anything a little, if I'm a Cardinal fan, I'm a little more concerned about, again, the bullpen. Because as, as a bullpen that's usually regarded as one of the best, right? maybe the best in, in baseball, giving up four runs, especially three of those in the ninth inning, is a little, there's a little cause for concern there. I wouldn't say the Cardinals are the best. I say they're top tier, but I wouldn't say they're the best. I think there are, uh, you know, things to be said about um, Carlos Martinez and, and Andrew Miller. And I think that last night we didn't see the Carlos Martinez that we know of. I think that Carlos Martinez doesn't usually give up the long ball. He's had some pretty darn good um, closing opportunities. He's made the most out of what he's got. Uh, the thing that does concern me with Martinez last night especially is his, his and again, talking with a friend of ours that shall not be named, who uh, I will throw in there again, and he told me, and he said he looks off. The second he walked out of there, the second he threw his first pitch, he looked off. And I think that that was a problem. And also, again, the same point that I will bring up earlier with the Nationals, they took their starters, both teams, took their starters out, way too early. I thought Keiko could have gone further than what he did, and I thought Mikolas could have gone much further than what he did. I think that that's a shame. I think we got to let those starters go longer because if they played that well, A, I think it makes the game, you know, it makes the game more fun because you don't have to go through the Braves, you know, bullpen, which I think was dumb because the Braves don't have a very good bullpen. Their bullpen is garbage. I don't know. I don't understand that decision. I think you're going to see teams pull their starters earlier in these playoff games. It just kind of makes sense. You don't want to take them to their limits and have them give up walks and runs before you pull them. You want to pull them while they're still fresh and then rely on your bullpen to either keep the lead or just stave off the um, stave off the other team so you, you can get your deficit back. But I think you're going to see a lot of that. They took Keuchel out. I, that doesn't make any sense. It's like they had the lead. They were up by a slim margin. And they knew that their bullpen has had its struggles this year, and the Cardinals' hitting is very, very good, and they knew how the matchups wouldn't fare. And it ended up coming how, coming to life as to how we predicted it would happen, 
because with a lousy bullpen like the Braves to give up, you know, that many runs to Wong, you know, to Goldschmidt. I mean, that was key in that statement there. I think you were going to have to do it eventually anyways. I mean, your starter's not going to go all nine innings. It's not going to happen. Keiko should have gone seven. Keiko should have at least gone six. Right. He went four in two-thirds. That's that's a mistake. And, and for as good as you, he pitched last night, that's a mistake. As if you look at the Braves, you don't want to rely on guys like former great closer Mark Melanson, who's now really fallen off the face 38 of the 38-year-old Mark Melanson? You don't want to rely on him, and you also don't want to rely on Luke Jackson, who gave up two runs in two thirds Horrible Luke Jackson. Horrible. That's not what you want to do for the Braves. Right. You want to have your starters go as long as they possibly can. You're not playing for the, the championship series right now. You're playing for now. It's about winning now. It's not about right. saying, I'm going to save my guy for later, because you're not going to get the later if you can't win. Right. And that's something that I think that we're going to need to see um, tonight as well, because you can't, you really can't mess around too much in the playoffs of baseball. There are a million and ten things that can happen, and now it's time to really see what teams are made of. And these managerial decisions are something that will come back, I think, to haunt them in the near future. I don't know. That's what I predict. All right, predictions on this series. As you know, I'm kind of biased with this. Braves in five. I still see it happening. Right. This game, really, just I want. I don't want. I hate the term first game jitters but i may have to throw it out there for both teams really both teams felt a little odd in the beginning michael michaelis struggled a little bit in the first inning he threw over 20 pitches gave up a run but it's it's really just that first game jitters and i think that's really what happened with everyone in this game that's why i still see the braves winning in five right I'm going to say the same thing, Braves in five. I just like uh, the experience of the Braves. I think the Cardinals have a great defense. they got great fielding. they got gold glovers everywhere. But I think the Braves will uh, outplay them in terms of experience of postseason play and outhit them too. I'm not finding myself trusting that Braves bullpen, and because of that, I'm going to go with the Cardinals in five. I think it's hard to say this game goes three or four, but I think the, Braves are also going to, or the Cardinals are going to take in five. Now, time to switch over to the American League. I want to talk about this game more than anything because this game is really who are the Minnesota Twins and are they really this, the team that they're hyped up to be? They're playing the Yankees, one of the best teams in the American League, second best, second to the Astros, which are, even them, they're basically interchangeable if you want to look at the best team in, in right. American League. I have been on, I've, I've questioned this Twins team all year. Right. In last last season of the show, last semester, I was questioning if they're really a good team or if they're just the team that was hot. Now, granted, they play against in they play against well, some of the worst teams in the American League, the Tigers, Royals, and White Sox. Two of those teams which ended way below five hundred. So the record inflated. I don't know really what to expect. I wa- I I know that the Yankees are gonna win tonight. And oh, yeah. you can quote me on that. I will eat my words. Gladly on Monday because I, I really want the Twins to win. But looking at this realistically, it's a Yankees series. I think the thing you have to ask with the Twins is if their home run hitting is going to continue. And that's kind of something we've been saying all season and, and it's been true. But I think the thing with hitting is eventually it's going to stop. And the matter of eventually it's going to stop, you need to get your pitchers, you need to have your pitchers ready in order to combat that. And I don't know if the Twins can once their hitting stops. Well, I think what it's going to come down to is, A, who has a better starting rotation and who has a better bullpen. I I think hitting has everything to do with it, but I don't think hitting is the tell-all, be-all, end-all of this conversation. 
I think that right now, I think the Yankees have a better bullpen. I think they have a better starting rotation, and then the Twins have really lacked. And I think they've gotten they've they've outhit their opponents a lot of the time. And I think that has been a cause for concern for other teams because Minnesota they they hit first, they hit hard, and they hit well. But the problem that I have with Minnesota is is now that it's postseason play, and we saw this scenario play out a couple years ago where they tried to do the exact same thing. They thought they could ride their hitting to winning. They couldn't. It didn't happen in the wild card game. And I don't think it'll happen this year either. I can see the Yankees seriously, you know, putting up some big numbers against them. And I think you're going to see that a lot because that Twins rotation isn't exactly one that's going to wow me or really wow anyone. And their bullpen, they're, they're, they do enough to get by. Yeah, they're, they're good enough. And good enough is not what you need in the playoffs. Not you exceptional. Want, you want to go in there and say, I have, let's say, if you have Verlander, I, I know Verlander gives me a very high percentage of winning. Right. Looking at the Twins, they're going to have to hit their way. And you don't want to rely on that. Nationals in 2017 hit a lot of home runs during the regular season. Right. Going against the Cubs, they, Dusty Baker, the former manager, had a big philosophy of relying on the home run ball. Right. It doesn't come. And how many World Series championships does that man have? Zero. Zero. That's uh, my point. Especially with the Yankees pitching you don't want to have to ride your hitting in order to win. It's it can stop at any time because these pitchers can get hot, and then you're left one you're left in the dust wondering why. And the reason why is because your pitching was not good enough because you were relying on hitting to win. And looking back as the, at, at I, I only want to mention because this is something I found really interesting at the, at the history of times that the Yankees the Twins have played in the ALDS in the, from 2000 until now. They've lost. The Twins have lost in 2003, 2004, 2009, 2010, and lost in the 2017 Wild Card game. I was gonna say, I was like, those two have a history. I mean, they have they have like 20 years of history together. I mean, it's it, you know it it completely favors the Yankees in every way, um, and I don't think this year it's gonna be any different. Yankees have won 10 straight postseason meetings between Yikes. these guys, and 13 of the 15 playoff games. Wow. The Yankees have the Twins number. And I think that's going to carry in this one. And that's why I see the Yankees winning in three. They're going to sweep. And a lot of people are probably going to say the Twins only going to win one fluke game when it's their home run bomb squad just shows up. I trust the Yankees pitching. I trust their hitting. They're going to give, potentially, if the Astros do come out of that divisional series, or run for their money in the ALCS. Yankees are winning in three. It's a sweep. You're going to hate me for this, and I typically don't like people who say teams win in four because I think there's a safety net under that. I think you could say there's a sweep or there's not a sweep and it goes five. I'm going to say this. I think the Yankees win it in four. I think there's always a possibility that the Twins can, you know, the home run, quote-unquote, bomb squad, as you said, could show up. But, you know, to me, I think that that, there's more of a possibility of, you know, there just being some kind of crazy game where the Yankees starters are off and and the Twins are just able to out-hit. But I think the Yankees win it in four. I think there is a safety net in picking four games, but I think also you can see a lot of times, even in the playoffs still, where a team takes away a fluke game, and that's why I'm saying Yankees in four as well. All right, our final divisional series here, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Houston Astros. America's team right now is the Rays. Yes, it is. The small market small market team taking on a former World Series champion just a couple years removed. Right. Everyone's going to be rooting for the Rays. They're so fun, the Rays. They're so fun. You, you look at the Astros, and that's like the big brand team. And you look at the race, and they're the Aldi. They're the team that has a lot of brands you've never heard of all in the one store. And you're like, and it's good. Yeah, right. It, it, 
it's cheap and it's good. And that's what the Rays are. And I really <laughs> love that because you, you see a lot of guys who are designated for assignment who are on this team. Right. You see guys like Avisail Garcia from the White Sox, who was a pretty decent player. Right. All of a sudden, just get a home run in the wild card game. Tommy Pham, ex Tommy Pham. And you, and you love, for me, I just love to see it. I, I love when the small market teams go far. Right. Because it, it really shows that it doesn't matter how much money you have. Now, it helps a lot. Look at the Cubs, the Yankees, the Dodgers, staying in, in at least playoff contention for long periods of time. Right. But when you see teams like the Rays and the A's come out of nowhere and win 90-plus games, right. it shows you you don't need to spend a lot of money to have a good team. Yeah. Moneyball strategy. I love it. It's great. It's fun. Now, in, in, in today's game, it's going to be Tower Glass now and Justin Verlander. And I think out of any team in the American League, other than the Yankees, the Rays line up pretty well against the Astros in terms of pitching. With Blake Snell, Tyler Glasnow, Charlie Morton, that you saw in the wild card game, right. he pitched pretty good. I like this Rays team. It's going to be fun. I think the Astros are going to be, it's going to be nuts. Because Verlander, Granke, and Garrett Cole is something that I think is going to show up. And I think that's going to give people nightmares, Rays fans nightmares. Um, but as you said, you know, I'm not ruling out any possibility that this could go five. I mean, there's a there's a good chance that I think the Rays, you know, seriously give the Astros a run for their money here. The Rays aren't a pushover necessarily. If they were playing anyone other than the Astros, I would say that even now I still think they have a real shot. I just think the uphill battle is playing against the Astros. I think they have good pitching. If it can get hot for just a few games, I can see a scenario where they move on and upset the Astros. I can see it. Now, I now in this in this game, I like both teams. I really like the Astros. They're probably my favorite American League team. Right. Because we both suffered in the basement of the NL Central back in the day. Yes. When the Astros are in the, in the National League Central, which for some still feels, I guess, weird saying the American League Astros. For me, it is still. I haven't fully adjusted to it. Yeah. I mean. But the Rays, a team that I first saw in the first World Series ever watched back in 2008, a team I really liked. My brother is a, a big, he loves the Rays as much as he, oh, not as much as he loves the Cubs, of course, but he loves the Rays. And these are just two teams that you really can't hate, in my opinion. Right. I think that the Rays are that kind of team that I think everybody identifies with. I think they're the, the you know, the underdog. It's David and Goliath. Right. I was going to say that exact same thing, actually. I decided against it, but it is kind of the classic David versus Goliath. The small market team taking on a big, I don't know if it's really a high, a big market team. I might consider them them now. I think it's like, isn't Houston like the fourth? I think it's the fourth most populated city in the yeah, U.S. It's say, a pretty big market. Houston well, in, is in huge. In terms of baseball, like spending money. Yeah. I mean, I know population isn't everything, but it's still a pretty decently sized market. I don't know. I mean, money isn't everything in baseball, and we know that. So, I mean, the, the competition here is 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 fierce, and I love it. It's what you live for in October. So, before we head off to break, series, how many games in the winter? I'm sadly going to go with the Astros in five. I think the Rays will push them. This will probably be the Astros' maybe biggest challenge of the postseason, assuming they do win. I don't... Th I think the I think the Astros will can and will beat the Yankees probably in four game four or five games in the in the ALCS. But we'll cross the bridge when we get there. Astros in five. 
Might as well just say it. I hate to say it too, um, but I have to be realistic and I have to be. I have to side with experience over you know craziness. But I think the Astros win it in four. Um, I think there's a chance that they could sweep, but I'm not going to say that because I think Houston or I think Tampa Bay gives them a run for their money. But four or five games to me is a safe bet. I'm going to say four because I just think Houston edges them a lot with that starting rotation in the offense. Yeah, I'm also going to say Astros in five along with Patrick. I want this series to go to five. I think it'll probably be one of the more fun series of the um, division series that we come across. And I really hope it goes to five because I'd love to watch five games of this. I'm going to say Astros in five. All right, we're going to head out the break. We come back recapping Thursday night football and this week's picks. Listen Hot Corner on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU. Make sure to join in every Monday from 4 to 5 to hear Jacob Murphy. They did it all season long, and the NBA should not expect anything else. Kyrie is gone. And I want everybody else gone besides Marcus Martin and Jalen Brown. And Reed McGowan. Kawhi Leonard was the best player. Not LeBron, not Kevin Durant, not Giannis, not Joel Embiid. Damian Lillard, James Harden, none of those guys. Steph Curry, no. It's Kawhi Leonard. As they continue their show, General Mission, on KCOU 88.1 FM. Giannis happened. Game two. Boom. In four games, Game Giannis three. single-handedly Boom. destroyed the Celtics franchise. Game four. Boom. And destroyed everything that they've been building the last five years. Game ever ever since the big three left. Boom. Giannis Antetokounmpo officially has killed the Celtics. Once again, that is General Mission every Monday from 4 to 5 p.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Don't forget, every Saturday is fall is a KCOU Sports Saturday. Listen to your favorite KCOU sports shows every Saturday, all day long. Catch No Huddle, Mizzou Football, Basketball, and more every Saturday. It's not just a Saturday. It's a KCOU Sports Saturday. So for the second week in a row, we've had a good Thursday night football game. We've had a great Thursday night football game. It's still odd. (laughs) For me, at least, it still feels weird to say, hey, Thursday night football is good. A lot of the times you get these teams that are kind of sluggish and, you know, they had a short week and they're kind of struggling on offense. But it hasn't been the case the past two weeks. The Packers and Eagles were fun. The Rams and Seahawks were super fun as well. I want to see this trend continue because it gives me something to look forward to on Thursday nights. Hold on a second. I just want to make a statement here. When they were planning out the scheduling here, a couple years ago I would have thought it would have been like Raiders and Jets Thursday night football. Now we have like actual, and I'm not, not an insult to the Raiders or Jets here, but like we have an actual legitimate like 325 game on a Sunday afternoon that I think millions of people could be tuning into. This is upping the product tremendously. I think that these games are great. I'm all for it. There's and they're more great for, for a reason. Yeah. There's more money made in primetime, too. I don't know why the NFL hasn't started doing this earlier. Right. In my opinion, I think it's a great idea. And what's also was great was Russell Wilson for my fantasy team. Four touchdowns, coming up in the clutch for the league I am in for a money league, and I'm very happy for that. He played great. Seahawks... They got lucky at the end, I will say. Greg the leg missed a field goal, which is 
kind of odd to say because he really doesn't miss many. Yeah, but let's not pin that all on Zerline. There was a play right before that the field goal unit came out, two plays before, where Goff is sitting behind center and he's trying to get the ball snapped before the play clock runs out, but the center's not snapping the ball. They get delay a game, move back five yards. They got those yards back, um, Robert Woods got them those yards back and then some, but I can't I can't help but think what might have happened if they if that play had happened gone for a first they get a fresh set of downs 20 seconds to work with right they have some time but they didn't because it was fourth down and they weren't going to go for it they were going to trust their field goal kicker to make the kick which is the right decision when you have Greg Zerline and he missed it by that much I was going to say, I don't think it made a huge difference in yardage. I think it made a difference in confidence, but I don't think it made a huge difference in yardage. They got more than that back. They were at, I think they could have had a more, you know, key field goal. But I think a 44-yarder for Zerline is pretty, you know, makeable for him. I'd say giving his hist- given his history. It should be makeable for any kicker. I mean, you look even in the wild card game, that Cody Parkey kick was 43. Ah, uh, Cody Parkey. So, I mean, Flashbacks. It, sh- it should be makeable. <laughs> But I don't think it's the matter of them getting the yards back. I think it's the matter of if that same play happens, obviously it wouldn't, being five yards forward, the Seahawks probably would have played more press rather than backing up a little bit. But it potentially gets them a new set of downs. They had 20 seconds to work with before. Right. I mean, granted, they had no timeout, so you have to throw something to the sidelines and get out of bounds. But that's what they were doing, and they were doing it really efficiently with a lot of quick outs. So I think if you have one or two more plays, if you're the Rams, the way that drive was going, you can get about 10 yards closer and have them kick a chip shot 34-yarder. Well, if you're the Rams here, I mean, you have the benefit of having a guy that can make a 60-yarder. I mean, he's done it before. He did it, you know, years ago against the Vikings. I mean, he's he's been good. I mean, this guy is almost automatic. It's something that I think that Cody Parkey, I think comparing Zerline to Cody Parkey is hilarious because Cody Parkey is nowhere near on the same level that Zerline is. Yeah, I was trying to compare the distance and the fact that any kicker can miss. But, yeah, I think I even said beforehand, like, he's not going to miss it, right? And then he missed it. Right. Like, I think... Like, we can talk about how automatic he is, but any kicker, if you're giving them a chance to kick the game-winning field goal, you don't want it to be from 50 yards out. You want it to be as close as possible so they don't have to worry about it too much. Well, right. I mean, the false start was, you know, a mess, and then there were other things that I think the Rams— but they had to seal the deal. Seahawks had to seal the deal anyway with that interception and the possession afterwards. They shouldn't have given the Rams part of, part of the problem is prevent defense. I hate it. Prevents you from winning. I, prevent defense. I mean, it didn't prevent the Seahawks from winning. Yeah, but it gave— <laughs> It gave the Rams a chance. I mean, I think they were banking on getting them clo- getting them close, but not close enough. When you're playing like that, all you're looking you're look aren't looking for your defense to be three and out zero yards. You're looking for them to do enough to win the game, and that's clearly what they did. I mean, the whatever you think about the situation, it still won them the game at the end of the day. It did. Whether it should have given him a chance is another thing, but clearly it was a makeable field goal, but it was also a missable one. I think that's all they were looking for is a chance to win the game at that point. They're not looking to play lights out. I mean, they still had that one possession, though. I mean, they still had that one possession where they could have closed it out and they could have scored a touchdown. But Jared Goff threw an interception, and you know, by some miracle, they were able to stop Seattle on defense. I just think that, or you know, stop Seattle while they were driving to try and win the game. And when you have that opportunity, I think that you had to take advantage of it because you essentially blew the game anyway with that interception, in my opinion, that Goff threw. Also, this is to say nothing of 
the potential disaster scenario that happens for Seattle. Can you imagine if Chris Carson had dropped that touchdown, touchdown pass? He bobbled it. When he, like, the first bounced it up in the air, I was like, no. Like, he's not. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. It was a perfectly placed pass. He was wide open, and he tried to jump just a little bit, and I think that was where he lost it. He could have stood flat-footed, reached his hands up, and grabbed that football, but he wanted to make it look a little more flashy or something, so he decided to jump a little bit, and it bounced up, and he almost lost it. I, and then he managed to hold on to it, of course, but I was like, imagine, imagine if he had dropped that touchdown pass. That's a completely different game. And it was on fourth and goal, too. So it wouldn't have been like, oh, okay, that's fine. We have another chance. It would have been turnover on downs. Rams get the ball at Seattle's two. I mean, or we've not, seen Seattle. that yeah. happen, though, They're with like two. with not just, you know, like Carson, but we've seen that like with actual, like, seriously good, like not running backs, like receivers. Like, we've seen that happen. Like, Odell Beckham had dropped the pass in a key moment. Like, we've seen it happen. It's crazy, and you never expect it. But when the ball hits your chest, you got to catch it. Yeah. You Chris, can't go for the flashiness. I mean, Chris Carson, Carson's no pushover either. He's a great player. But can you imagine if he would have dropped that pass? It would have been chaos. Lights out. And I am a fan of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to now go to our three games of the week. As you know, we have our predictions on our, our opinions of three of the best games on Sunday and and or Monday. In this case, Thursday, Monday night game. So we're going to go with the first one here, the Jags and the Panthers. Ooh. I, li- I like it. It's going to be fun. The legend of Gardner Minshew continues to grow and turning into what many fans are saying as their favorite quarterback in the league right now. And you know what? I'm one of them. I love Gardner Minshew. So, you know, play, he's good and it's fun. He's Who doesn't. Fun. I love doesn't. I love Minshew Mania, but I think there's a backup in this game as well that people are not talking about. And that's Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen. I think he's played great the first two games. He's been the starter in Newton's stead. And I love this game simply because it's just one of those games that screams fun to you. You get Gardner Minshew versus Kyle Allen. Like, that's not something you get every day. And both backups are at the top of their game right now. Sounds like a college game, honestly. It really does. (laughs) I think both of them are at the top of their game right now. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I love how these two match up. I'm just saying. We were in our show production meetings and we were arguing about this. And we all had sat down and had this discussion. I remember us saying, like... This is going to be the game of fun, period. Like, this is going to be fun. Like, we love both guys involved in this. And I think that any way you look at it, this is going to be a fun game, regardless of what happens. I think blowout's a possibility, but regardless of what happens, this is going to be a fun game. I don't think there's going to be any chance of blowout. There's always a chance. Well, I mean, yeah, but it's not going to happen this time. Well, so you're telling so. me there's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> no, I don't think that there. this will be a blowout. I think Kyle Allen... There's cause for concern in the Texans game. He didn't throw a single touchdown. The Texans just looked more lethargic than the um, pa- excuse me, the Panthers did. But I look at what Minshew's been able to do in Jacksonville. He's making DJ Chark look like a number one wide receiver. I really like DJ Chark in his rookie year. He didn't get a lot of usage. Now he's the number one there. I mean, Chris Conley's there too, Keelan Cole. But no one's getting as much production as Chark is, and I think he's the name to monitor in this game, if any. Him and Minshew. Of course. Of course, you know, I love to just talk about quarterbacks. And Minshew, seeing him play in the Thursday night game last week, almost taking my upset pick a couple weeks ago, coming it down to a two-point conversion, which didn't come. I was very sad about that. But the legend of Gardner Minshew has been a a wild ride. It's been crazy. It's been a lot of fun. He, He has, as of now, the highest completion percentage of any quarterback. 
that's something. I want to ask you guys a question because now I feel like it's actually a legitimate concern. The Jaguars are paying Nick Foles a lot of money. And when I say a lot of money, I mean a lot of money. They paid him essentially starting quarterback money, franchise quarterback money. Do you think there's any possibility that if Foles comes back, the Jaguars don't hand the job back to him? I wouldn't give it to him. I wouldn't. I wouldn't at this rate either, but I feel like you're paying him so much money to do what? Sit on the bench? I'm going to actually look up what that contract detail is. Do you give him a chance? But I mean, that's the thing. I, I, I don't I, think you do. I think you Minshew— leave, You leave Minshew in until he has a bad game. What do you do? The thing that I, I have concern for is, you know, Logan's looking up the price right now, but Foles is, you know, not cheap— I think he's overpaid. I think that the, all the stunts that he pulled in Philadelphia were largely because of a system of offense that catered to what he was able to do. I think that you know, he they had very, very good coaching staff over there in Philly, and I think that Foles is not going to have that same success anywhere else. So I think that Minshew is able to thrive because of who he is. I think that Foles is just – I think he's just overpaid at this point. So, yeah, and here's the thing. Like, if you keep Foles as your backup – you just have a very expensive backup because there's no way you're just walking away from after this year. He creates $45 million in dead cap this year. If he were to walk before that, he'd create $33 million in dead cap next year. Jeez. So you're holding on to him for at least two years. There's a potential out after those two years, but that's still $12 million in dead cap. So if you're looking for the future, and Foles is about 30 years old, he's not getting any younger. So I think Minshew would be the right choice moving forward and just for... In general, I think Minshew's got to be the guy, and if you think he is, then you're left with a huge question mark with Foles if you try to trade him, but I doubt many teams would be willing to take on that contract. Well, the Jags well, have a well, lot of questions. There was a very similar case. Now, granted, Mike Glennon was exactly a great quarterback, but the Bears paid him starting quarterback salary. He also wasn't making $30 million. But he was getting paid. Mike Glennon made $13 million I know, per but year. it's still a lot. They cut him after, well, they had a potential out one year into the contract because they were like, if this fails, we're not going to keep going with this. They had a potential out, and they used it after the first year because they figured Trubisky would be their guy. It's not in the case of if you're the Jaguars, you're either holding on to this guy for another year to be your your $33 million backup or you're trading him. I want Minshew to succeed, and I want him to be the starter moving forward, but if you're the Jaguars, how do you justify having a backup quarterback that's making that much money? You just kind of got to roll with it. I, I also have a problem. You leave in the guy who's hot. And the, another thing that I, I want to make a point across is, is like you guys brought up your teams. I'm going to bring up mine. Um, Donovan McNabb and the Redskins. They paid him a ton of money for four years, and they benched him in week 10 and put in Rex Grossman. Like, that's, you know, to me, I think we don't really have an idea here when it comes to, you know, paying guys a lot of money, especially when they're older. So... I just think the whole thing's crazy. And they got to work out the Jalen Ramsey thing too. They got a lot on their minds right now. So very quickly around the table, winner of the game. If you're really ambitious, score prediction, which I'm not going to give. Jags win. Carolina's three and a half point favorite. Gardner Minshew, the legend of Gardner Minshew, the second, will grow after this week. Taking Jacksonville too. I'm also taking Jacksonville. I want to mention one thing, Michael. To mention the Jalen Ramsey situation, AJ Boye is fine. And he will continue to be fine if Ramsey doesn't play. Also, I believe he was on the sidelines last week. He just didn't play because he had just his wife had just had their second child. Where, so where are you going to move him? Where are you going to move? That's someone who will take him. I'm sure some team is looking for an all pro corner. Find someone. All right, we're going to go to our second game here. God's team, also known as Dallas Cowboys, <laughs> are playing on the Green Bay Packers. 
both teams received an L last week for for Christmas, and really, it's more it's more of another one of those games where it's a real challenge for either or to really say to assert themselves as a good team. Patrick, now, it's not Christmas yet. Whatever, I just have whatever. to say that. <laughs> but the Cowboys lost their game last week to the Saints. Very sad game. It was a it was a very good game. It was sad. And the Packers, good, as you know, lost last Thursday night to the Eagles. It's hilarious. So both of this, this, this is a bounce back game for either or. I'm taking, if I'm putting money on anything, it's going to be on God's team. And I think they'll they'll come back and they'll say, and they'll their defense will be good. You're taking again. Dak Prescott and the Dallas D over Aaron Rodgers. Yes. I, I think. Am. Are you for real? Yes. And don't let your bias take over here. I'm not saying bias. I think there's some bias with you here. Too, right? I mean, I'm not. I saw the way the Packers played against the Eagles. I'm not impressed. Listen, this is two of the best defenses in the NFC. Obviously, aside from the Bears, you have the Packers and the Cowboys. I think those two, those are two of the best defenses in the NFC. Who's a better quarterback? Who is a better quarterback? The Packers. But I think the Cowboys, the Cowboys defense hasn't been terrible. You, you, no, you had worries in their that. secondary before. But they've shown out. Xavier Woods looks great. Byron Jones looks great. They have a good enough secondary. Who are the Packers throwing to? Devontae Adams might not play in this game. Do you trust Marquez Valdez-Scanling as your number one wide receiver? I think if Green Bay is able to get a good rushing attack, aside from Aaron Rodgers, who, I mean, I think he can throw to anybody. I think that he's made, you know, he's turned boys into men, in a sense, when he's over his career. I sure. think with the guys that he's had. But you've been able to lean on kind of Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. Now you're looking at Aaron Jones and who else? I feel like you kind of have this, like Jamal Williams left the field on a stretcher last week. I don't think he's playing this week. And Aaron Jones is a great running back. Don't get me wrong. He's great. But you have to rely on passing. Look at the Cowboys. They have Amari Cooper as their number one option. That's someone who can generate offense. And I don't know if the Packers have someone who will be able to cover them effectively. The only thing that I think can genuinely work out here for Dallas is they are at home, which means that I think that... I mean, when you're playing at Jerry World, it's a completely different game. Right. For anybody that's ever played in Dallas, they know that. So I think that 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 is a thing to look at. But I also think Green Bay has been in this position before with Mike McCarthy, and they've gone in there and they've beaten them. They've beaten them in playoff games. So... I, I have genuinely no idea how this game's going to turn out because you just never know. But my safe bet is that Aaron Rodgers wins this game. Sure, but this isn't your father's Cowboys and this isn't your father's Packers. You've seen the Packers win games on offense and just offense alone. This time they have a strong enough defense to kind of let the off let the offense a little bit off the hook. And Dallas also is the defense to let the offense off the hook. So I think Dallas has, especially if Devontae Adams doesn't play, I think they have an advantage at every position group besides quarterback. I don't trust Dak Prescott at all. All right, around the table, because we have one more game and the upset pick to go over before we head off the break. Winner, point, again, score. If you're really feeling ambitious, which I'm not. So God's team winning on God's day, Sunday. Jerry is going to be very happy at Jerry World. My goodness. Cowboys win. I think it's going to be close. I'll give you this. I think it's going to be close. I don't think it's going to be a huge gap, and I don't think anybody's going to blow anybody out, but I'm picking Green Bay in this game by seven or three. I don't know. I just it's going can't, to be close. I can't bring myself to believe that just the quarterback advantage is enough to propel Green Bay to a win in this game. I'm taking Dallas, and I'm taking them pretty confidently. All right, our final game here, the Monday night showdown of the undefeated 
San Francisco 49ers, which still sounds weird, and the Cleveland Browns. This is a classic game of trying to figure out what these teams are. And I still feel like this, I don't know what I remember. This are. is the game for both. This is the prove me game. Are the Browns good? Are the 49ers good? This is this is the game to really who are you? find out. Who are you? I think that's the question of this game. I don't know who the Browns are. I don't know who the 49ers are. I need them to show me. Both teams have played well up to this point. 49ers defense looks much improved from last year. And obviously, Jimmy G back from injuries looked great the past couple weeks. So... There's a lot I want to see. I also, the Browns against the Ravens looked fantastic last week. There's something to be said there. I just, I don't know. I feel like these two teams have been fairly inconsistent. I want to see some consistency. I know the 49ers have won three games. They've still looked inconsistent. Turning the ball over like five times against the Steelers, they were lucky to pull out that win. And I just want to take this time to say thank you, Browns, for making my upset pick a reality last week. Everyone looked at me like I was nuts saying the Ravens were losing to the Browns. Like, oh, that's not happening. People I talked to said that. But, hey. I like the Browns. One I of the- like this game. I like I like this game a lot, and I think if I'm going to pick right now, which I'm probably going to do, the Browns are going to win. One of the people that said you were crazy is sitting behind another mic in the studio, and he's the one. He's the oh voice who God. you're hearing right now. I don't now. think I called him crazy. <laughs> no, I said I that did. It, there's not a possibility. Logan called me nuts. He's like, oh, exactly. I did. That's what I'm saying. One of them is sitting behind another mic in the studio, and it's the voice you're hearing right now. Oh, I will take I full responsibility I for call, that. I mean, I, I disagreed with you. I didn't call you crazy, but I, I disagreed with you vehemently. I think that Cleveland wins this game. Honestly, in my opinion, I'm picking Cleveland to win this game, and I think that. San Francisco has not as good as what people think they are. And I I really think that too, because they really haven't, other than the Steelers, I don't think they've really played anyone that's that, that says, you know what? That's a good win. Right. And there there really is, isn't one. It was the Steelers who was a good defense. And again, the offense turned the ball over five times against them. And then it was a Ben Roethlisberger. Exactly. Mason Rudolph was throwing checked. I think if anything, you can say Mason Rudolph is being held back by his coaching staff. He was throwing a lot of checkdowns, short passes to running backs. They weren't letting him sling it. They weren't letting him move the ball. I mean, he had to do it in the first place, but he wasn't doing it. James Conner has not looked super good this season. So it's been a little rough for the Steelers' offense, and I think especially without Ben Roethlisberger, that's not something that I'm like, oh, like I believe them now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go around the table with picks, Patrick. I have no argument. Browns are going to win. San Francisco is favored by three and a half points. And for me, that's a pick em game, honestly. So I'm picking the Browns. I'm really high on the Browns this year. I like them a lot. I love watching Mayfield play. Chubb is one of the, the best running backs in the game right now. And a lot of people really don't talk about him as much as they should. Right. And He's a that monster defense, in open space. That Browns defense is pretty good. So I'm taking the I'm taking the Browns in this one. They'll prove to me that they are a playoff contender and division contender winner, potential winner I should say. <laughs> Can't English well very well, but I really like the Browns in this one. I'm just gonna pick them to win. Mike, I'm gonna pick next. the Browns too. I'm picking the Browns too. I struggle to see maybe outside of corner with Richard Sherman a position where the 49ers have the edge. That's what I've been looking for when I make these picks. So I'm gonna take Cleveland in this game. As you know, we love to do an upset pick. I'm going to go first. Last last time, as I mentioned a lot, I picked the Browns over the Ravens. I'm very proud of that upset pick. But this one I'm picking, I'm not too proud of. And, well, and again, people are going to call me nuts. Well, maybe not. Maybe not as much as last week. Because my upset is between a winless team and a team that's really underperforming. Just wait until my upset. Then, then you'll be saying someone's nuts. My upset pick 
is the winless Denver Broncos over the Los Angeles Chargers. Oh, that's going to be a fun game, I think. I We had a conversation about this just a couple days ago. I don't trust the Chargers anymore. I don't either. Their offense has been fine. Like They have Keenan Allen. They have Austin Eckler and Phillip Rivers. They have those triplets, and they have those those playmakers. But they're still one and three. They lost to the Lions. <laughs> That's gonna be the one we're gonna throw out the entire year. Isn't it? <laughs> it's it was a low scoring game where you lost to the Lions. I just I don't that's know. That's bad. The Lions could be good this year. They've looked fine. I'm not buying what they're selling personally, but that's a story for another day. I I don't know. I think this is a fine upset. And, and, and Joe Flacco looked good last week. It's just that they kind of just laid an egg after the first half. They're like, you know, second half? Nah, I don't really feel like I feel like mm. I feel like Flacco is very reliant on how Emmanuel Sanders and Cortland Sutton decide they want to play that day. Like, Emmanuel Sanders <laughs> can have, like, 100 yards, and Flacco will be fine. Our, and Sutton can have, like, 70 yards and a touchdown, Flacco will be fine. Or Cortland Sutton and Emmanuel Sanders can just decide they don't want to show up to work on Sundays, and Flacco will look bad. I feel like it's he's largely reliant on those two. All right. So, yeah. They are a six and a half point underdog, which qualifies to me as a good upset pick because, you know, unlike some people here, I like to go a little extreme with my <laughs> yeah. underdog picks. So that's it. Michael, you're next. All right. Um, I, I'm going to say that the uh, Redskins beat the Patriots. No. Um, <laughs> I was about no. to say, if you said that I was a walk out of the studio, no, never no. come back. Uh, no. Um, no. There needs to be more 0% chance of a team winning uh, for it to be considered an upset. Um, I'm going to pick Pittsburgh over Baltimore. Um, I think Mason Rudolph has, as to Logan's point, we haven't really seen him Captain fly. Checkdown? Right. <laughs> Captain Checkdown. I don't think he's a Checkdown guy. I think he's been made into a Checkdown guy, and I think we're going to find out the real deal versus Baltimore in Pittsburgh. Um, so that should be fun. I'm going to, you know, a little bit of a safer game because of a divisional matchup here, but I, I like Pittsburgh in this game. Okay. Now, my upset, you're going to call me crazy. Give me a chance to explain here. I am taking the New York Giants over the Minnesota Vikings. And the reason I say that, Daniel Jones has looked great in his first two starts. Granted, he played two bad teams, but he had 68% completion percentage, 561 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. This is the most challenging defense he'll face, but they also led. They also helped the Chase Daniel Bears get 269 yards. Chase Daniel's inconsistent. I think Daniel Jones is a better quarterback than Chase Daniel at this point. The only thing the Vikings need to do is stop Delvin Cook. That's going to be their biggest challenge. I'm taking the Vikings in this game, though. You know, I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. When you force the Vikings to pass, you're going to have let bad things happen. Second thing I see now, on my screen, Stefan Diggs wants out of Minnesota. I mean, that is the problem with this team. Well, it's also just the fact the quarterback's not playing very well. Kirk Cousins isn't playing very well. The offensive line is Swiss cheese. I think the Viking, the Giants' run stuff is a little problematic. But I think if they they can focus all their assets on stopping Delvin Cook and they can stop this team. All right. All right, we're going to head off the break. We come back the final word. You listen to Hot Corner at KCOU 80.1 FM and KCOU.FM. Looking for your weekly fix of Mizzou sports content? Look no further than the longest-running Mizzou sports talk show on KCOU, Salute Your Sports. Join me, Chris Mitchell, alongside James Stanley and Zach Berman as we break down everything you need to know about Mizzou sports every Thursday at 4 p.m. Central. And if you can't tune in for the live show, you can listen to the show in podcast form every Friday on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's the sign. 
the greatest part of your Friday and my Friday is the final word. As you know, I go first as always, and I always pick weird stories. Like last week, I talked about Oktoberfest and the run of the wieners, <laughs> which I think is one of my favorite stories I've ever done. But as of now, it's safe to say that we've been almost all over the world in this show. We've been to Finland, to Russia, to Florida, <laughs> which is like its own country because it's weird. But this week, we're heading to my favorite country in the world and a country I'm probably going to be going to in the next year and a half, Australia. And in Australia, there's a lot of weird things. And it is a given fact that it's true that toilets do flush the opposite way. Don't ask me how I know, but I know. But what happened in Australia this past week was the wife-carrying championship. <laughs> you may be asking what that sport is. It started in Finland, of all places. And it's the husband and wife team. The husband carries the wife, like it says, and goes through an obstacles course. And whoever wins an event in Finland, which is the world championship, wins their wife's weight in beer, which wow. I think is one of my favorite facts of all time. But this tournament went out in Australia last weekend and it's to find out who's going to represent the Aussies in the real championship. This year's winner, Nicholas Metcalf and Jess Codrington. Congrats and good luck at the world championship. Bring home your wife's weight in beer. <laughs> Fantastic. Congratulations. Fantastic. It's one of those weird sports sports things that you hear about, but you really don't understand. Right. Right. You're up. All right. Um, my hero of the week, and I've had my issues with the Redskins, and so this guy is this guy's words meant everything. Um, so somebody was calling for DJ Swearinger to come back in Washington, and that's never going to happen. And he said, "Why?" Um, I'm not going to read you the entire text that he sent in an Instagram post, but I will say this uh, to a reply to a comment he made, um, or f to a comment somebody else made. He said, winners are born, but champions are made. A strong leader of men makes others around him better. Spread peace and love in everything you do. Be easy. And he, me he meant by that in a comment that he said, come back here. He says, it's not in the Redskins coaching staff to chew you out in practice and to be and to work really hard in coach discipline. And he was the guy that said, you got to work hard and hard work pays off. Credit to him. He did lose his job for it, but calling the team out is what he needed to do here. I like it a lot, and he's honest about it, and I think it's great. Putting his career on the line to make sure that people are to, to say that you got to work hard to win. And I love this, this, uh, this statement here by him. That's great. My final word story comes to you from the province not city this time, of Saskatchewan, Canada, where former Nevada alum Cody Fajardo is the backup quarterback of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Say that five times fast. In the CFL, <laughs> he was inserted to the starting job three plays into the season when the starter, Zach Calero, suffered a concussion. And he's been playing well. He's left the Rough Riders to a 9-4 and four season in a playoff berth. Zach Caleros was traded to the Argonauts. He's at 3,140 yards, 13 touchdowns, 7 picks, 476 rushing yards, and 10 rushing touchdowns. So the dude's been playing out of his mind. He's a dual-threat quarterback. And a quote from him, courtesy of SportsRants.com, says, I think the one thing many football guys have to understand, you can't control the way your season or career is going. So for me, it's playing every play like it's my last and just lay it on the line for my guys because they respect me and look up to me. And so I want to do everything I can to help this team, build this team, and be positive. And I think that positivity is something we're lacking a lot in this world. So, uh, excuse me. Fajardo's story is something we can all take a little something from. All right. And this 
This is the end of another episode of the Hot Corner. Make sure to follow us on our social media page at Hot Corner Sports. You can follow yours truly at Patrick Carey and Michael Imami at Imami Michael and Logan at The Logo Friends. Also, make sure to check us out on Spotify, Stitcher, and any other podcast service under the name The Hot Corner. We hope you have a wonderful Friday and a great weekend. We will see you next week, same place, same time. This is The Hot Corner, signing off.